This is Album Worms. It's like a book club, but for albums. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And on this episode, we will be discussing Rage Against the Machines, The Battle of Los Angeles. Let's get started. Welcome to Album Worms. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Album Worms. Please take a moment and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform and follow us on Instagram at Album Worms. Well, Chris, are you ready to go back to 1999 with me? I sure am. I, uh, I'm ready for this one. This was a fun one. Do you know what else we, what happened in 1999? I believe we started our freshman year of high school in 1999. That's the year we met, yeah. man. Yeah. This is our origin story, basically. Yeah, I mean, you were one of the first friends I made in high school. I mean, I had just moved from Utah, and, uh, you know, band was kind of my first, you know, introduction to meeting people. It was kind of cool. It was, you know, pretty interesting year. I have such vivid memories of 1999 because of a few things. Just like starting high school is such a pivotal time because mm-hmm. I had recently like moved. I didn't have any friends. And then all of a sudden I made lifelong friends off yeah. the um, marching band and everything. I have very vivid memories of Californication and the Red Hot Chili Peppers record coming out in 1999. And then also, I was really introduced to Rage Against the Machine this year by our guest. I'm really stoked that we were able to have onto the show. So welcome, Joy Reedy. Yeah, welcome. Hey, what's happening, guys? Good to see you. Long time. Been a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I really wanted to... Chris and I doing this podcast together, and one of the main reasons is try to give us a reason to reconnect with uh, some of our long lost friends and talk about music and something that we all enjoy chatting about. That's awesome. I love it. And Hey, I don't remember specifically introducing you to rage against the machine, but like, do you, do you remember like a moment where we had a, a band function or what do you remember where or when, yeah, I so, I mean, it was you? over, I think, a series of time that you, like, brought them up, like, multiple times. So I can't remember exactly where, but I just really remember you telling me about them. I think you've been to their shows, so you were telling me about their shows. And, and that, I mean, this is 1999. This is, I feel like I was late to the bus or late to the show with getting to know rage and really just finding out about them on their last studio record but that's kind of how you found out about bands uh back then because there wasn't it's was either your parents listened to them or yep. they were on the radio which your parents would have to be in control of so it had to yeah. be a radio station your parents listened to which they did not or and like that, or, let you listen to or yeah. they let you listen to so i mean i was into like Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins and obviously Nirvana by then and, and Chili Peppers obviously was a big part and by 99 and Foo Fighters. Uh, but for some reason, like I, 
hadn't gotten around to raids against the machine yet. They weren't on my radar and you told me so much about them. And I think it's like somewhat embarrassing, but I also have like a memory of getting the record. I think it was at a Walmart, which I really hate to admit because I'm not a fan (laughs) of that store, but you kind of go where your parents go and yeah. I don't even remember going to Walmart very often with my parents in high school, but I feel like that was like the one time and I was there and I was like, hey, I really want this record. And I was able to pull it off. And <laughs> yeah, Nice. That's funny. I think, so you're a year younger than me. Right. I think, I don't know if he introduced me to it or if we were just buddies and we were kind of both into it, but there was another trumpet player in the marching band. Poncho, right? Poncho, <laughs> Alfonso Morales. Yeah. And him and I are actually, I went to, I think I went to all the rage shows that I went to with him. Nice. Yeah. So it was like him and I, and he's my brother's age and my brother totally wasn't into <laughs> uh, that kind of music at all. So it was me and Poncho. And we would go to all the shows. I think I know there's definitely two that stick out in my mind, but there might have been three or four shows that we went to together to see Rage. And so that would have been he was a senior. You guys were a freshman, I believe. Yeah, he actually, I think he might have even been a year older than your brother because I think he had already graduated or he wasn't there because I only met okay. Poncho a couple times. Okay, so that makes sense then. Yeah. Then he was then he was probably a senior when I was a freshman. Right. So I got to spend a whole year with him there. And that that does make sense that I think that a couple of the shows I went to with him were after he had graduated. Yes. But funny enough, he had already graduated, old enough to have a driver's license, but my dad still drove us to the conference. (laughs) 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 Yeah, those were the days. Uh Yeah, right? Yeah, so I actually didn't get to see rage until they reunited in 2007 oh rad you got to see him then yeah it was epic it was so nice but i guess before we also get too deep into this i also want to kind of give your podcast youtube channel and social media kind of a shout out because you do some cool stuff with vintage cameras and if you're into photography or old school like analog cameras Joey is the man, so yeah, you want to give our listeners like just a little snippet of what you do on your show? Sweet. Yeah, basically, if you're into photography at all, you might be into my stuff. Or if you're definitely into like uh, analog and just vid- old cameras, uh, I kind of like cameras. The older, the better. I mean, my favorite camera that I own is I inherited from my great-grandfather, and it's definitely from like the late 30s, maybe early 40s. And it's it takes amazing photos better than any modern camera that I own. But I do so you can find me on Instagram at Awesome Cameras or uh, YouTube. Uh, I'm on a YouTube channel as well, and that's just Awesome Cameras. I've got a really funny story. I was I, I just maybe in the last two years, three years, got back into shooting 35 millimeter, and was on YouTube just searching out like oh you know different various camera channels just to kind of get myself familiar with the camera again and your uh your channel popped up and i was like nice 
Do you know what video it was that popped up? Oh, no, I don't. But I was like, I went to school yeah. with him. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, it's been so long. I was like, oh, this is great. And just started watching all your videos. They're 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 wonderful. I try to make them like watchable for people who aren't even into photography. If yeah. you're not even into the photography, I try to make it. I don't know. There's a lot of people doing it now. But when I started a few years back, I was trying to just make like the kind of like fun skate video of photography. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like like back in the day, a skate video was just like a crew of dudes, it probably a handful of dudes, and they would go and film each other or someone would film them skating and they'd put together an edit and it was like you don't really have to be in you don't have to be a skater, you don't have to be into skateboarding to get it, but you just it was it was entertaining. It was fun to watch, and it was kind of compelling. And you want to keep watching. Yeah. So I I try to do that with my videos. That's awesome. Yeah, you do a great job, and anybody that's into that should definitely check you out. Want to tell everyone one more time where they can find you? Yeah, just if you search awesome cameras. I mean, awesomecameras.com, Instagram at awesomecameras, and then my YouTube channel also just awesome cameras. Actually, one of my favorite memories back when we hung out in high school was around a camera. I don't know if you remember this, Joey, but remember... I don't know. Remind me. We went to the LA Auto Show, and yes. you had your, I think, probably first digital camera. Right? Okay. And we had the idea that you took a photo of a brick wall, and you made it like the biggest size file that you possibly could and then he he emailed it to people and like check out this car that we saw at the LA Auto Show and it just <laughs> took forever to download and it, <laughs> it was ultimately just a brick wall <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that nice that's funny <laughs> cause man back then emailing a photo was I could see that where I, I remember one year my dad I had shown interest in photography quite a bit and at my dad's work he worked for mazda so big corporate company his when i was out shooting concerts i would borrow the camera from his from his like whole i don't know what you call it his division of mazda motor corporation the whole department like mazda motors of north america that he had like a training department where I don't know, hundreds of people worked in this department. Right. They shared one digital <laughs> camera. One. And he was able to, like, check it out for the weekend and, and like, let sneakily let me use it to go uh, shoot concerts and, like, shoot bands with this digital camera. So That's after doing wild. that for maybe a year, I remember he dropped a, quite a pretty penny on a you know, a 16-year-old kid probably, I think he spent about $1,200 on a digital camera for me. And it was, looking back now, it was garbage. Absolutely. It was like, <laughs> it, was like it was like, I think it was 2 megapixels or 2.1 oh, megapixels. Wow. Gosh. But that probably would have been the camera. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it probably was. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, well... Let's uh, get into it. So I pulled a little clip just for us to get in the mood. So this is the first track of the album. This is Testify. Testify. 
All right. So got some album details for you. And again, we are talking about Rage Against the Machine and their album, The Battle of Los Angeles. This album was released on November 2nd, 1999. It was their third and final studio album. As you might recall, they also came out with a covers album the year after this one called Renegades. Um, But this was their last studio album. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard's Top 200, selling 420,000 copies in its first week, which is pretty incredible. And another incredible part of that story is Mariah Carey also released the album that year, and she was bumped to number two. She did not sell as many copies as Rage did, which is insane to me. Yeah, that's crazy. Mariah Carey? Yeah. Do, do we know how long that album was out? Did it release the same week? I think it, from what it was, was reading, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I think it was the same week. Let's see here. Let's see. Looks like she released a couple, maybe? Three albums in 1999. Jeez. <laughs> Heartbreaker. Around the World and Rainbow. If these are in order, I guess it would have been Rainbow. Yeah, released, so it was Released Rainbow. on November 2nd, same day. Wow. That's wow. really saying something. If you if you outsold Mariah Carey on her own release, same release day. Yeah, and that's like when she was in her prime. Yeah, man, look at that album cover with the rainbow. That is, yeah. that like was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Lil All Rage. I just didn't even realize at the time how big they were. Maybe it was the two albums she released earlier that year that uh, watered her uh, watered her down a little bit. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, this is 1999, so you had to physically buy the album if you wanted to hear it. <laughs> Yeah. So definitely. once you, if you're a Mariah Carey fan, you already tapped out like potentially 40 bucks or a little with tax and everything on two albums already. Maybe you're tapped out by the third one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so the Battle of Los Angeles was ranked by Rolling Stone on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time at 426 which isn't too bad. I'm assuming their other two albums are probably ranked even higher, or at least their first one, I would imagine. And then Time and Rolling Stone. So this one is nuts as well. So Time Magazine and Rolling Stone Magazine ranked this album the best album of 1999. Wow. Which there was some great albums that came out that year i mean one of my all-time favorites obviously is california cation by red hot chili peppers came out that year i think that's just as timeless i think this album obviously maybe has a little bit more say was a little bit more politically in the thick of what life was like back then with the george bush and al gore election yeah, um, and 
Dude, I'm just now looking this up just out of curiosity while we're talking. Yeah. 1999 was... I'm looking at Billboard top top 200 albums. So this is you're look, you're talking about Time and Rolling Stone, but this is just Billboard. So these are just albums that came out that year. Backstreet Boys, Millennium, Shania Twain, Come On Over. I know it sounds lame, but that song was everywhere. Yeah, those are come huge. on Pop. come on over. You could not go into any store on any commercial, like anything, without hearing that song. On the radio, every station would play it. NSYNC, Ricky Martin. What else was out that year? Another two Backstreet Boys albums, it looks Jeez. like. Yeah, we're in 99. I didn't realize, I mean, all these pop artists are just hammering out <laughs> albums. Share, Believe. Oh, the Eminem Slim Shady LP was out that year. Yeah, that it's one like, was huge too. Like to like, and if you're old enough to remember, oh, Big Willie style, Will Smith. That album was crazy. <laughs> that album is as dumb as it sounds, and like you think of Will Smith now, that guy was like ultra superstar back then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was definitely huge. But do you think even at that time though, people were realized like this probably isn't going to age well, but it's it's fun for now. The Will Smith? Right. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious it wasn't going to last. Yeah. I feel like, what was that? Big Willie style? What did that have? Get Jiggy with it? Yeah. Um, Going to Miami or whatever. Um, I, feel like, I feel like the writing was on the wall as far as, uh, yeah, it's good and it's a hit right now, but... Will it just be at weddings, like, play that funky music, white boy? <laughs> probably. And I think back right. then it was, yeah, probably. Yeah. You know. It wasn't the musical force that Rage came out with that year. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I mean, with how big this album is, so you would think an album that big ranked in times and rolling stones but if we went to our parents and said uh i feel like a good part of our population just would have no idea who rage was true my dad would know though because he was driving us to the concerts right (laughs) yeah i'm sure uh, i asked like my parents like to buy me the album or to or they would go and they saw it and stuff like that but for the most part, unless you're like watching the news and seeing them protest or you have like kids that are your or you're into rock music, it's not like a Mariah Carey, which or, or like Backstreet Boys, which every single household in America pretty much know, knew those artists or would if even if they didn't listen to them, they would at least know the name. Yeah, definitely. So here here's a another flashback moment here and i remember this pretty vividly so you have to let me know if you if you remember this as vividly as i do okay 2000 mtv video music awards you know where i'm going with this i believe so yeah i think i remember this one 
Yeah, so they were up, Rage was up for best rock video, and it was given to Limp Biscuit, which is <laughs> unbelievable. And a moment that will go down in the history of MTV Music Video Awards, Tim C., the bass player, protested by climbing up on this huge scaffolding part of the stage and just like sat up there. I do remember that. <laughs> they had to stop the show, right. try to get him down. He got arrested, and it was such a ordeal. It was so bizarre. And I think that might have been the last time I watched the MTV Music Video Awards. Oh, probably. I don't even know if I watched it, but if I did, that was probably that was probably it for me too. <laughs> it was wild. Uh, if you don't remember that, it's, it's worth going back in. It was like a statue that was built on the on the back of the stage, and he just like climbed up it. Yeah, I remember. I I didn't re rewatch it or anything, but from my memory, it was like on the side of the stage. And he climbed. It was pretty tall, and he just climbed up all the way to the top, and it was kind of like rocking back back and forth on it. Yeah, it didn't look too sturdy. Right. <laughs> I think that's probably why, like, one of the, I mean, besides him causing a ruckus, like, I think it became, like, a safety concern that it was, he, he was going to fall or it, he was going to knock it over and hit a bunch of people. Yeah, either way, it's not safe. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, shortly after that, and who knows, you, you never knew exactly what... The main issue is, besides that, there was one quote from Zach. This is referring to their disbandment in 2000. Really, the only thing that has been said is that their Zach said that their decision making was like flawed and they just had to go their separate ways. So obviously, this was between Zach and the rest of the band because. Tom Morello, Tim C, Brad Wilk went on later to just join forces with Chris Cornell and form Audio Slave. So we know this is the three of them against Zach, but I don't think it's ever been really said what the why it didn't work. Yeah, I haven't heard too much about that. And, yeah, it's hard to speculate. I mean, I would not be uh, one to really speculate on uh, something like that. Yeah. But, you know, we've all been in relationships. You've all been in, uh, had a group project in junior college or high school or whatever you want to compare it to. And not everyone sees eye to eye. And it's tough. I mean, in something like a group project, you know there's an end date and you're going to be out of there, but... Imagine if your high school social studies group project, they're like, hey, this is a hit. Like, if you guys can stick it out, like, you could, you guys could do this the next 40 years. Like, right. that most cases, it's, it's not going to work out. By year two, you're going to hate everybody. <laughs> what, not necessarily hate everyone. You might love everybody, but you're going to have differences. And, right. Some of those differences, you know, might not be worth any amount of money, especially if you're sound like you're not a huge fan of capitalism and uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, protesting the government and whatnot. It just the money 
probably is not your main motivator in sticking together with these guys. Well, I mean, you have to compound it as well. It's not just, I mean, when you're traveling and you're together in a band with these people and you see them so often and you're trying to have creative expression through that, obviously that can create tension, Mm -hmm. but you compound that with rage because they're also talking about political opinions and I'm sure that they all have slightly, although they might be of similar ideology, they probably still have slight differences here and there. So add that to the conversation. And I can see that I, I, I do remember Tom Morello saying that they even had arguments over like what color t-shirts their <laughs> band should sell. Oh, wow. Uh, so I think they, they had that. I think there is also, um, I, I'm not sure if this was ever officially confirmed or not, but I think there was rumors that part of the disagreement was in if Renegades, the covers album, should have been released, and it eventually was. So my I think the speculation is Zach didn't want it to be released, okay, and the rest of the band did. And that was maybe what led to the breakup. But I don't think that's ever been really confirmed or solidified. They have reunited. So in 2007 was their first reunion together. And they have since done, I think, one other one. And they were actually supposed to reunite in 2020. Uh, So they're good enough on terms where they're cool with playing live shows but not good enough maybe to go through the whole creative process of making new music. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they were, they probably had a a handful, three or four at least, right? New songs in the works, they had to have. You would think, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I think we'll we'll get into that a little bit in, I think, in some of our questions, but... When, when going back to Audio Slave, one thing I thought was interesting was they were going, the three of those band members, so it was basically Rage minus Zach was looking to support a bunch of different bands, and it was actually Rick Rubin, the famous producer, that suggested that they connect with Chris Cornell. So just add another line item to Rick Rubin's uh epic career that he helped get audio slave together which at the yeah. time i was not uh an audio slave fan at the time just because i was like this is not rage and i was just upset about <laughs> it and but looking back at it i was like they actually put out some really decent music yeah i think i never really got into them and i'd have to go back and listen to it to uh form a concrete opinion on it right so they continue to go on, and even that's those that same core, Tom Morell, Tim C, and Brad Wilk, they formed Prophets of Rage with Chuck D of Public Enemy and Be Real of Cypress Hill. So that wasn't too long ago. They came out with an album and toured together, but I think they're done. So a few other nerdy tidbits. This one uh, really brought me back to 99. Gorilla Radio was featured in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Do you ever play that? You know what? I know I played the first one. I guess 
I don't remember the the second one. I remember. I feel like the first one was uh, pretty legendary with their soundtrack, but I don't. I don't have uh, too many memories of the second one. They, I mean, I couldn't tell you between one or two. Yeah. But Tony Hawk Pro Skater was all the rage. That that game was. Oh, for sure. So much fun. It was like Tony Hawk and GoldenEye, the two games you would need to have if you owned a Nintendo 64. Yeah, for sure. The Tony Hawk, I think, was that, I think it was on PlayStation. And I remember that game did more for unknown artists. Like, I feel like Good Charlotte. Right. Got, you know, huge off of the back of that game. And there was like three or four other bands that blew up because of that and i don't remember i don't remember rage being on that but yeah i i mean i believe it yeah there it is another fun fact especially since we're all uh originally from orange county zach de la rocha and tim c met in elementary school in irvine california zach i think he was born in long beach or raised a little bit in LA and his parents split and he moved to Irvine because his mom attended UCI where she eventually got her PhD mm-hmm. and yeah Tim C and Zach elementary school and went to junior high started their band called Juvenile Expression I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around Zach living in Irvine yeah <laughs> same yeah I, even back in the day, I'm like, these guys are from, these guys are from here. Like what? Yeah, yeah. I've run into a few people that was more like their age, and saw them coming up, and they played Orange County fairly frequently early on in small little venues. So there was a definite cult following with within this area, which is definitely interesting. Yeah, that would have had to be like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, because they they signed their first deal or their first album, I want to say, came out in 91 or 92 range. 90, 92, yeah. Yeah, and then Evil Empire, I think, was 96. Yep. Yeah, it probably was late 80s. I definitely, yeah. I, I would have been like five or four. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> And then, so Zach and Tom, I think both their parent lineage, I think, is really interesting. Obviously, we won't get into, it. I think, everything about this band or this uh, album even, just because it's, we don't have, we're not going to do a four-hour podcast about <laughs> this. But, yeah, they both come back from very interesting backgrounds. Like, Zach's father was a famous artist. I know that his parents got divorced, but his mom became a PhD. Tom Morello, his uh, parents were dignitaries and ambassadors. So they, they came with from pretty educated parents. And then Tom Morello even himself graduated from Harvard, which I think is a pretty little known fact about him. Oh, wow. That just little bit of information, I think, really kind of helps you understand, like, why they were so impactful is because they were educated and they were smart and understood these really hard concepts about oppression and all the political topics that they, they covered. This is where 
the difference between Rage Against the Machine and some other bands, especially some of those new metal bands that came out in the same time frames. They might have some political leanings uh, or try to make some different statements, but Zach and Tom know what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, when you come from, you know, if your parents are political, you're going to you're going to have some insight on that whole world, you know? Yeah. Uh, me and most people I know, our parents are not in the political world or weren't. And uh, so you're, you're learning about it and it's all new to you. But if, if you're raised, think about it, if you're raised insight on all of that and how that works and you're going to have, you're going to have some more opinions about it. Yep. So even, even at a young age, they were probably in their twenties. I mean, they're way, they're way ahead of most of the population on uh, insight onto the political world and what's uh, actually going on out there. Yeah, I mean, they knew at a very young age what activism is, which I think yeah. obviously shaped how what they became and some of the inequalities that they experienced in their lives. Definitely. So a couple other just fun little nerdy tidbits about Tom. So he also performs as the Night Watchman. Uh, it was his kind of like solo folk music that he does, which is, I, I really enjoy too. So if... Yeah, actually, I actually saw him perform once. Nice. I, it was it was a benefit for something or other in Hollywood. And it's a little foggy, but I may, I believe I was taking photos that night so i might oh, have nice. some photos somewhere of him performing as the night watchman oh that'd be I, killer. I, I think i do i'm pretty sure i do um i'd have to i'd have to look through my archives and sadly that would have been when i switched from shooting film to digital and by today's standards that camera that i would have been shooting on would look like absolute garbage compared uh, to even if I was shooting on a modern cell phone, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But, but, uh, it would be cool f to go back and find those images. I'm sure I have them on a hard drive somewhere. Yeah, that would be rad. If you do, we'll, uh, we'll post it to our Instagram account. If you share it with us. Yeah. I'll see if I can find them for sure. It would have been them and anti-flag and, I forget one other band that was pretty, pretty big name on the bill. I I'd have to I'd have to dig through some uh, some hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I have one little fun little tip about this. This is one's pretty funny. I don't know if you know this one or not, but did you know what Tom did to support himself when he first moved out to LA? No. What's that? Yeah, so he supported himself when he first moved out to L.A. by being a stripper. No way. Yeah. Tom Morello? Tom Morello. Wow, okay. Unreal, right? Yeah. Which also I heard that he kind of was friends with one of the guys that was in Tool, and he, like, introduced a couple of the people in Tool. So in some ways, Tom is potentially responsible for tool getting together wow i was never really that into tool and don't have a huge uh i don't have a knowledge a lot of knowledge about their music in general but 
I did. I was at the first ever Coachella in 1999 and saw mostly just to see Rage Against the Machine. And Tool was also headlining. It was like Rage Against the Machine and Tool were headlining. And we kind of caught a little bit of Tool on the way out. And that, and it was one of those things where I we watched we probably watched a good handful of songs of Tool. And it was epic. Their show was amazing. The music was awesome. But uh, I don't know why I never really dug into their their music after that but it was it was pretty awesome yeah i i agree i'm i'm pretty similar like i listen to some of the stuff but it doesn't at least not for me it never stuck in my rotation and i think it's just because it's so technical that it's not very catchy right like tool songs don't get stuck in your head yeah and you don't, you're not humming them so I think that maybe is the reason why, like, we, I appreciate it. I understand it. Like, this uh, is good. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of Tool people that r- listen to it religiously. But oh, for sure. For, for me or you, I guess that's my, my reasoning why I didn't. We never got too fanatic about them. Yeah, I feel like it caught us at the wrong time. We would have been in our late teens, and I feel like... Tools fan base was probably in their mid to late twenties, if that makes sense. Yeah. At that at that time. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's get into our questions. So let's actually just take a moment, think about our time together in nineteen ninety nine. What was your reaction to this when you first heard this record? Who's up? Me? Yeah, go <laughs> yeah, for it. Yeah, let's go you, man. All right. So, I, being completely honest, I, I'd have to go back and listen to the uh, the first two albums. Yeah. But I, I feel like for me, and this would be different for you guys, because I feel like you got introduced to them around the time this album came out. Right. Maybe, maybe even after this album came out. Uh... We were me and Poncho. I know were listening to to these guys for a couple years, and I feel like I like I I mean I love this album. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it was one of those things where you were I was more into the other albums, right? Originally, and uh, so this album I didn't I don't know. It's not that I didn't like it, but I didn't I didn't bond with this album. I think quite as much as I had the previous albums. And I and I don't I don't really know why that is. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, those first two albums are so nostalgic and going back for me cuz I listened to this one probably first and then went backwards to the older albums. It had a. I feel like Gorilla Radio had a slightly. I mean, it's still like I think a great song, and it definitely fits this record. But I feel like that song in particular it stands out a little bit, maybe more mainstream than the rest of their music. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think also uh, we talked about it a little bit in the in the album notes. I think I saw Rage. <laughs> at the first Coachella and that was in 1999 and it would have been I think I looked it up and it was October 99 so it would have been like the month before this album came out 
So yeah. they definitely were playing. They were playing these songs then. You know, they were pumping up the new album. So there was a lot of that. Oh, here's some of our new stuff. And I don't know what it is, but especially when you're a kid and you're you're into a band, like you you really want to hear the songs that you really want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and when yeah. And when the band and when the band says, "Oh, listen to our new here's some new stuff," you kind of you kind of zone out a little bit. And I feel like there was a little bit of that going on. I'm like, come on, man, just play the hits. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so funny to think about because pretty much almost all these songs on these records, even if they weren't released as hits, got plenty of radio time. Oh, yeah. And I just, I mean, prepping for this, I re-listened to the whole thing. And, man, it's awesome. It's one of those albums, like, there's not a song on there that I wanted to skip, you know? There's not a lot of albums I can say that with. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Do you have any memories of this, Chris? Um, I mean, for me, I kind of got into Rage 97, 98. So that would have been Evil Empire was out. I think that came out in 96. Right. Or something yeah. like that, right? I remember, as you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes. You know, my, my life was going to the CD store and picking out a record. And my mom would just be, she, I was pretty blessed with parents that would kind of let me listen to whatever I wanted to listen to. They weren't yeah. super crazy or worried about me. I was a pretty good kid. And I saw, you know, that that boy with like the superhero, you know, costume or whatever. And I was like, oh, I got to have this record. I couldn't even tell, you know, I didn't know who Rage was, right? <laughs> and I picked that up and man, it just blew my mind. And then when Battle came out, it was kind of one of those, it had to grow on me. It wasn't like something I could listen to just every song. One of those records that I just, over time, really started to love. I don't really think they put out any bad music, you know. It's, it's I think, record to record a little different. And it was something, you know, each record I kind of had to get used to. But it's one of my favorites. How about you, Sean? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying, Chris, too, for me, maybe that's one of the reasons why I didn't get into Rage earlier is it was probably a harder sell to my parents (laughs) um, prior to middle school age. But I think by this time, like freshman year of high school, I was listened to enough music and I think my parents realized that I didn't really listen to lyrics at all. So it didn't really matter what they were talking about. Yeah. So I think I remember it being a little bit of a sell. I feel like my sister even was like, really that record? Like, I don't think you should be listening to that. I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is highly recommended by Joey Reedy. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah. That was a big memory. And then to me also, besides what we talked about in the album details, like Tim C climbing up at the MTV Music Awards was like a big memory. And then Gorilla Radio's music video really stuck in my mind like all these years because it was like a, pretty sure I remember correctly, but they were knocking off the Gap commercial look. Yeah. I don't recall that. Yeah, they, they were like, it's like all white and different level stairs. 
and I think they had like a cut to different clips and stuff, but for the most part, like the core of it was making fun of like the consumerism or taking, maybe not making fun of it, but parodying and kind of okay. targeting that consumerism culture of those 90s Gap commercials. No, I could see that. And then the other one that stuck with me too was the Testify music video, which was when they, I think they worked with uh, director Michael Moore and when they were taking the Capitol building or the, or, or was uh, Wall Street. And they were playing like in front of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and that sounds like all about how Bush and Gore basically is like the same person. And I actually went back to watch that one to familiarize myself. And it was kind of mind-blowing to watch that because there is in that music video a Trump for 2000 sign that someone's holding up. Oh, jeez. No way. It's so weird, right? Yeah, that's crazy. And that's for, that's Sleep Now in the Fire? That is Testify, that the music, or actually, yeah, no, that's uh, Sleep Now in, my, in the Fire, you're right. That's when they were playing uh, on Wall Street. Yeah, you're right on that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, that brings me to kind of the next side of that. So after going back and re-listening to this record, what what kind of new takeaways do you have now kind of looking backward at it? For me, going back, just realizing how talented this band was, you know, how they mixed like rapping with heavier music, I don't really think was, you know, kind of a thing everybody was doing, you know. Not they in were the kinda, way that they did. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, very technical with Tom. His guitar playing is just unreal. And then just everything. It had different elements to it. Some funk, some hardcore, because Zach was in, you know, a hardcore band back, I think, in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, something like that. And it just has a bunch of really cool influences. You can hear some hardcore, some, you know, hip-hop beats. And I just, I love it. Funk. Yeah, and I pick, now that I'm older, I think I pick up on that more because I've, been listening to music for a lot longer i don't know if that makes any sense like i i feel like i'm a little more aware of it now oh for sure you yeah know? i mean back then i didn't i didn't realize like you're listening you're like oh this is heavy music you don't as a kid i mean i didn't listen to rap or hip-hop i didn't like, either I didn't, re- I didn't realize that's what he was doing or you know what i mean yeah i was just like this is great this this dude right. is yes yeah, something i like fl- like flowing and I like it and it wasn't like it wasn't even a thing of like oh this is this is rap or this is hardcore or this is that or this is whatever it Mm -hmm. is you're like oh this guy's passionate about this you can tell it shows through the music and I like it and and that's that but yeah looking back now you definitely re-listening it to it today there's so much just funk like the bass lines are like funky but like there's that old school hip-hop kind of beat to them and the drums in a lot of it Mm -hmm. that you listen to it now and you're like oh that's like like a hip-hop beat from the 80s or something you know what i mean yeah like oh this is like an old school hip-hop beat with a funk bass line over it and then just like heavy distortion guitar and rapping but he's screaming (laughs) 
Yeah, so some of the even the like the way they structure the songs is blues like oriented. Yeah. yeah. Just going back to this, I, I just I think it's very nostalgic for me. At the same time, I still feels like so fresh and relevant and with maybe a few exceptions, there's a few things that sound like pretty like early 2090s. For the one example, the Born of a Broken Man, that opening riff is just like drop D. That was a little bit more of the time. Uh, maybe a few hints here or there. This record could easily have come out this year and I feel like it would have still play so well. Mm-hmm. And how I mentioned like I didn't really pay attention to lyrics. But when I listened to Rage, uh, I realized that, oh, man, bands are actually talking about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that it's not just, like, music. That, and uh, it, it was really something that kind of woke me up as far as the messages or what they were singing about. And I had to look stuff up. I think this might have been, like, the first band, like, I had to, like, look up what they were talking about because I was intrigued i think all that i think still stands to this day because even going back i forgot about some of the the topics they were talking about i was like oh yeah i need to refresh myself on that one so it still feels like very fresh and even one of the main core messages on the record was bush and gore is basically the same person that there was no difference yeah and i feel like even that argument of presidential candidates in the last election, they probably could make that same exact argument. And maybe maybe it's a little bit more extreme for the Trump and <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah, Trump I, I think the sentiment is similar, that there's still not that representation on all accounts. Yeah. I think political bands tend to be relevant, you know, in election years, we can listen to them and be like, oh, man, you know, they still talk about those things, you know, it's still relevant, whether, you know, they were talking about a certain president or not, especially when, you know, things are difficult and times are difficult. It kind of comes back around. Absolutely. I mean, if anything, 2020 taught us a lot of those hot topic things that came up last year and continue to come through this year. A lot of that stuff has been happening in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Like, it's still the same topics mm-hmm. yeah. that we're still trying to make progress on. And yeah, I was thinking about that today, actually, the same exact thing. Like, listening, re-listening to this album, there's so many political notes that they hit that are so relevant today. Maybe, who knows? Looking back, maybe even more relevant today than they were when they wrote this album and then you look back at like i don't know neil young singing in the 70s like and you're like oh he's saying the same thing in the 70s you know rage was saying it in 99 and then i don't know musically but it's definitely the same things are being voiced today via twitter and uh you know, Instagram and whatnot. It's the same, same uh, thing. History repeats itself 100%. Since we're kind of on this topic, let me ask this question. What is your take on their blend of kind of 
music and politics and which was what rage has become well known for so kind of lyrically and just how their stance on politics is was your take on this particular record personally like for their blend i i love it i mean and and like you were saying it was i mean back in the day i don't know if it was google yet but i was looking stuff up i don't know if we even had a computer yet to be in the computer lab at school or maybe we had just gotten a computer and i would be looking stuff up like what are these guys even talking about like what like you know what i mean yeah for for me it was i think i read some of it in like album reviews and the album review would say oh this is what they're talking about and whether it be like rolling stones or something like that yeah so it really got me looking at the whole political realm and figuring out like I love the music and I, what are they, what exactly are they talking about and and uh, so it's like when you like the music you really research do the research behind what they're talking about and I feel like this was probably the first band that I ever uh, had that impact on me yeah I think this might be the only band that had that impact on me yeah. at least in my early ages I I don't really I mean I obviously you hear the the stories of behind songs or I don't know if you'd watch this a pop-up video on VH1 and you learn stuff about the song that way I missed that actually yeah, me too. Oh, yeah that, that was great pop-up video and but besides that th- this is the one record that I remember really kind of perking up to as far as what they were talking about otherwise I was so concentrated on the music end of things so yeah the vocals was just like another instrument, like just a melody that kind of ties the whole musical ensemble together. My funny kind of story, so in high school, I think this was my freshman year, so when we first started listening to this, when this record came out, we had to write a protest song or poem. I have like this great source in Radish Against the Machine. That's exactly what they're doing. As I remember talking about with my teacher and I talk, I remember talking to my teacher because I said, I really want to use this line from this song because I feel like it ties it together and it's kind of like a continuation of what they're, what they're talking about. I'm trying not to be plagiaristic or steal something. Is it okay if I use like the one line? It's like, oh yeah, they, people do that all the time and that's like as long as you're not copying the entire thing and you're paying like homage to where it came from so (laughs) i remember my song i guess i had or lyrics or poem or whatever it was had all hell can't stop us now (laughs) as part of my high school (laughs) poem nice what what grade did you get on that oh man anything i tie back to music i usually killed at um the teachers love that stuff so i think i got an a on that nice i had i had (laughs) sophomore year english class i remember this pretty vividly i uh it was like the end of the year or maybe end of semester essay that we had to write and i was just i kind of had already checked out of school at that point i think and I just, I was listening to this band, Death by Stereo, who was like a local Orange County hardcore band. Yep. And I remember listening to it, 
the day because it was like an in-class essay. You had to write it there in class that day. I just copied the lyrics for that <laughs> word, word for word onto a piece of paper and handed it in within like 15 minutes. And it was like the final. It was like our final for the class. I wrote it and I was like, whatever, I'm over this class, whatever. And I remember the song was called A Day in the Sun. And it was just about, yeah, you know, I just want a day in the sun. Like, I just want to, <laughs> <laughs> I just want this to be over with. I want to have, I want to go have fun and whatever, have a day in the sun. And, uh, she gave me a B. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's the type of stuff that you could you never be able to get away with today. Oh, for sure. But I, you know what, looking back or even then, I, she knew I had my, I had a CD player on my, sitting on my desk, or at least (laughs) I had headphones in and a a cord, which means you have a CD player back then. It wasn't like a phone or iPod or anything. (laughs) So she knew I was listening to music in the class and she had to have known that that's what I was doing. I don't know. She just liked She probably just wanted her day in the sun too and was probably like giving this kid a B is easier. (laughs) It was relatable. It was definitely relatable for her, I'm guessing. And she's like, oh, this is my uh, kindred spirits, I think she maybe saw in me kind of thing. Also, did you know that, I think it's in it's like the testify, who controls the past now, controls the future, who controls the present uh-huh. now, controls the past, is kind of a reference to the novel 1984. I didn't. And sadly, I have to admit, I have not read that. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't either. So I know it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'll get around to it. It's yeah. like the, it's like those classic movie. It, it, everyone's like, you gotta watch this. I'm like, yeah. I'll get around to it. Like Lord of the Rings. I've never watched it. And oh, wow. honestly, wow. Here's I'm waiting. And and since the thing the dang movie came out, I've been waiting. And I keep telling myself, okay. Once I get a nice, like, big screen TV with, like, (laughs) the crazy surround sound and, like, the Blu-ray and whatnot, I'm going to go and watch all Lord of the Rings. It's, like, one of those. And I've just never bothered getting a nice home theater system, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's one of those things. I'm like, I'm going to get around to it. I'll read the book, okay? I'm going to read 1984 one day. I mean, that's how I look. I, there are other books that I'd rather read, honestly. Yeah. I I loved Fahrenheit 451 nice. in high school, and I I read, I'm pretty sure I read 1984, but I probably had 5% comprehension. <laughs> I probably use Cliff Notes. Let's be realistic. I don't yeah, think I read I, it. I really had probably no idea what I, I was just reading words and yeah. nothing was sinking or un, made sense to me. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. I, I think the other thing to have to mention is that Rage wasn't just like a political band. They were out there oh, yeah. protesting, causing chaos, and just really on the streets and backing up what they were saying and lobbying, showing up and in support of certain causes. 
they were a real deal. And I think based off of like how we talked about in the album details of their education, their upbringing, they were prepared to take this on. So I think they really separate themselves from a lot of artists, especially in this era where they maybe a certain artist would sing maybe one or two songs that are political, but they felt like rage was like a movement. What also made it so powerful was the music that was backing it up. And let's talk about that. What is some of your favorite musical moments on this record? Testify, that guitar part in the beginning that Tom does, that really weird, I don't even know. I've seen him play it live, but, you know, it just, like we talked about earlier, just their use of different genres of music, you know? His guitar playing is just unbelievable. Just how well they put songs together, not necessarily how each song flows in the whole album or whatever, but I just love that guitar sound that Tom has. For me, it, like I just enjoy listening to just how well they play together yeah that intro and testify and it's i believe throughout the whole song but just that guitar sound that he kind of does i can't even i don't even know how he (laughs) i I wouldn't even there's like a crazy rhythm but then he like layers it over like a slide kind of thing yeah i mean he's just ridiculous i and that's probably my favorite part is that intro and i think it's an outro too in that song I think it happens throughout the song quite a bit, yeah. but for me, I don't know, throughout the album, and it's pretty it's pretty normal with Rage, or not nor- uh, normal, whatever, whatever the word is, pretty regular for them. Their bass lines, and it's not a knock on Tim Comerford, obviously, but like the bass lines, I, I don't know, what sucked me in is like I was like kind of learning to play bass probably around the time I was listening to their music, and it was a big influence on me. And the bass lines in their song were like kind of attainable. Like I could pl- yeah. I could play most of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you, you could like, as a young musician, you could still, I mean, not the guitar parts obviously, but if you're trying to play bass, you could, you could like hang with mo- like 80% of their music and, and maybe not play the full thing, but you could play a dumbed down version of it along with it, which is back then kind of had to learn if unless you had like lessons or a teacher or someone or you could look up the guitar tabs online if you don't know what that is it's just a a very crude text document telling you what fret to play on what string now i'm sure there's youtube videos that would just break down every single song and show you how to do it but we kind of just had to make do with what we had and being able to play along with these with the music really i don't know made it made it that much more closer like attainable i guess you would say i was like i felt more connected to it yeah those were some of the first bass parts that i learned when i started playing basses because like you said it was they're not they sound uh, they fit the songs perfectly and especially like you think like bomb track is like leads in with the bass part which you don't hear too often and when it stands out it's a great riff but 
I picked it up pretty quickly. It's not like overly complicated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think that's what was cool about them is their rhythm section. You know, bass and drums were absolutely solid. Right. But it wasn't too filly or too much to where Tom, obviously, being the guitar guru he is, would the overshadow scientist. it. Yeah. And it, it just helped drive that band you know what i mean that rage had a sound no matter what songs they were they had that drive and that punch and i think the punch came from you know the bass and the drums yeah that they had that it's just like that solid foundation because tom like i said i think he i always think of him just like being like this mad scientist over in his lab coming (laughs) up with guitar sounds (laughs) yeah that wouldn't have worked if tim was also playing super complex or drums or were just going off the chains drums and bass was just solid foundation um, which i think built on the also hip-hop style as well yeah definitely yeah and then tom just is off in a different universe accomplished something that has never been heard I, i don't i don't think it's ever been repeated or even i i think when you see someone like Tom, you you then see a lot of copycats. And I think Tom was like so off the charts with what he was doing that I don't even think anybody could copy or att- attempted to copy what he was trying on these records. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of stuff. Usually you hear something crazy like that that, get, that blows up and you hear a bunch of bands come out that sounds like that. And this, I feel like Rage never really had those bands come out, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, they sound like Rage, or they're just trying, oh, they're just trying to be like Rage. That's kind yeah. of how I felt. Well, they did kind of spawn the whole rap, new metal scene, and a lot of terrible bands like came out from that, like Limp Bizkit and stuff <laughs> like that, and I think they might have thought that they were being Rage, but weren't by any means yeah i mean there's a there's a band a hardcore band out now called uh stray from the path and uh if you guys listen to them you'll pick up some kind of rage influence and i don't know if that's a thing if that band is influenced by them but just the guitar parts kind of very similar weird screechy guitar parts you're like oh that's kind of interesting but yeah you know back when they came out there was nobody like them. No one. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, I don't think anybody compares no. to what they, what they did. And they, I think their rhythm section was just like so locked in. And I think they just came up with this formula that worked. They kind of had these standard intros, like they have a really good kind of riff and sometimes even like blues-oriented riff. And then it was these kind of experimental sound bed of stuff underneath verses and then they have the really catchy chorus they would have some type of insane guitar solo or other type of tom just going off the rails sometimes they were more hushed sounds Um, other times they really blow up and were super heavy they didn't necessarily play around with their song structure that much. They, I felt like they had, they kind of knew what worked and stuck with it. Yeah, definitely. I was, 
I was thinking the same thing today, re-listening to all this, and it's just like a... Yeah, they kind of had a formula down. They figure out the song, but they, they know the riffs, and then start with the riff, get them hooked, and then we make it a little bit heavier. They're a little more hooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then we keep up, and we get our message across, and I, I think it, it executed perfectly. I think that that's one of the things where we kind of talked about too is like some of this music and maybe not as catchy like heavier music I think sometimes or especially when you think of people like Tom how kind of innovative they are with their guitar work sometimes it doesn't end up being that catchy but Rage was so catchy you listen to once on and I'll hum it or be kind of either the bass line or the chorus or the main riff coming together I'll be humming it for like the rest of the week because it was just stuck in my head. I think it's amazing that this is only a four-piece band, I think, especially in this era as well. And what for what like listening to this, it I don't know if he's Tom is layering his guitars on the actual recording because it sounds like three or four guitars yeah. at the time at the time and that's what bands were doing back then they were having a minimum of two guitar players sometimes three sometimes even four guitar players on stage to redo and make some of this and i, I think that's kind of what bands had to do that wanted to kind of be in the same space as rage is one tom morello is four guitar players on the stage basically yeah yeah, I was thinking the same thing today and kind of in my mind comparing them, not directly, but it kind of drawing parallels between them and Muse. I don't know if you guys are familiar with yeah. Muse. Oh, yeah. But I believe Muse was just a three-piece. I did see they them are. a couple times. Yeah. I think I saw Muse on their first U.S. tour, and they played some tiny venues. So we got to be real close up and... It was insane because they were used to playing, you know, arenas in Europe and everywhere else in the world. And they came to the U.S. and no one knew them and they were back to playing small venues. But they brought their whole, like, arena sound system and lighting setup with them. So they were packing this crazy lighting show. I I mean, I'm getting sidetracked a little bit. (laughs) But, But they would... It was such a big show, and I got to see it. What I'm saying is I got to see it close up, and and even seeing it then with Muse, there was, I could definitely tell, they were playing. There was three of them, but they were playing along with tracks. And so they'd be playing, but you could tell there was, like, another keyboard sound coming from nowhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? To fill out the sound. And with Rage, I really don't. I don't remember that being the case the couple the few times that I saw them live. Definitely not live. I'm assuming on the recording he layered his guitar work on at least on a few of the tracks, but it could have been him using his pedals to make the same effect cuz that's how he does it live. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know exactly how he ended up recording. The one thing before we we move on as well it, that I thought was hilarious was going back and reading the Rolling Stone review of this rec- uh, record. Oh, uh, this should be good. <laughs> they said 
that even they has a harmonica solo you can bang your head to. <laughs> there is no harmonica on this record. That's awesome. So it was just Tom going off. This is what they were referring to. It was on Gorilla Radio. Oh, yeah. So the biggest like publication in like music there is Rolling Stone thought that was a harmonica solo I mean, and that's I can't so funny. believe it. Yeah, well, Rolling Stone. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. I mean That's so funny. That's great. Well, how about what's what was your favorite track on this record? I would say for me probably Ashes in the Fall and I don't yeah. remember offhand like originally when it came out if that was uh the case i mean i feel like i probably would have been a little more into some of the newer stuff but man re-listening to this just stuff like the the lines like buried for drinking the river's water while shackled to the line at the empty well it's like that those lines like stuff like that like who comes up with this (laughs) it's so unreal like how zach the some of the lyrics and it was just painting a picture basically with the what yeah. he was was able to shape his words into into these songs is it, pretty impressive and even like you said going back and listening to that song when I went back and listened to it, I was like man this song is bending genres like I can't believe yeah and and it's one of those things too where I mean now music is so just single driven and oh if your if your song is big on tiktok or yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is yeah. or you know you're it'll blow up but this song was number 11 out of 12 on the album and i feel like even not even radio hits but just the sounds that get the most love i feel like are for some reason with albums it was 1 through 4 and then for some reason Seven. I feel like I right. feel like growing right. up. I feel like the tracks. I would whenever I listened to an album, it was like, "What are the first four songs, and what's number seven? And though for some reason those were the popular tracks. I don't know if it was some kind of science they had behind how to lay out an album back then, but definitely like any album you listen to, like track eleven is. When you, when you don't have it just on demand and you can't just go on Spotify and click play, you're not you're not listening to track 11 that much. No. Track 11, track 11 happens when you forget to change it back to the song you wanted to listen to kind of thing on most albums, you know? Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, we've uh, we talked about this briefly a little bit Chris too. It was like back in the like the 90s, like basically in the age of CDs. 12 tracks was kind of 12, 13 tracks was the standard. But before that, it was closer to nine tracks because that's only how, how many you could fit on a vinyl record without yep. having to go to the double. And I think we've kind of 
gone back to that a little bit more on Spotify where you have like more nine to 10 solid tracks. So I think on a lot of records in that CD era, you got a lot of waste or just like, we just need to fill this with, so we have the 12 to 13 tracks. Yeah, the record companies, you know, unfortunately you kind of have to do what they decide, you know. And if your and if your label doesn't like Ashes in the Fall, it might get pushed back to number eleven. You know, if it's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even like No Shelter, which became a single, yeah, because they put it on a soundtrack. I think, which is kind of funny because I think it was Godzilla. <laughs> it was on the fa- mm-hmm. soundtrack, and they even mentioned Godzilla specifically as being really the whole point of like the commercialism that you should not. <laughs> Oh, pay into I, I i actually do looking up because i because one playlist i found had no shelter on the album and i was like I don't yeah think it was, was on a, this album it was like an australian bonus it track in, it was added in japan and australia and it says here on wikipedia despite appearing on the godzilla soundtrack <laughs> the song contains the following line godzilla pure Mother effing filler to get your eyes off the real killer. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal, right? That's great. Yeah. I, I don't know this for sure, so feel free to fact check us or to fill us in on our Instagram afterwards. But I think Grill Radio was the main hit. Then they released Testify, mm-hmm. and then they released Sleep Now in, my, in the Fire. And then everything else was not released, but like comma like a bomb got huge radio play. I think Maria did as well. I think Born of a Broken Man did. So so much of it just continued to live on. And I mean, to this day, this is Rage's K Rock, one of their top playing. Oh yeah, this was on K Rock all the time. Oh for sure. And they haven't released new music since '99. So. Granted, they're going to have to go into some of the deep cuts so they feel like they have some fresh music. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What was your favorite track? I had a couple. I uh, Testify was obviously yeah. just that. What a great first song on a record, you know? I, it just really kind of hooked me, you know? I was like, oh, this song's great, you know? That was one of them. And then my other favorite would have to be Calm Like a Bomb. Yep. That's that's the other one. And it's just, they're catchy, but still carried quite a big message, you know? And yeah, like we were saying earlier, kind of once you start reading the lyrics, you're like, oh, wow, okay. They really actually care and want people to realize, like, hey, this is going on. You should be aware of it, you know? Yep. So those are my two favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to pick a, a favorite, really. And for me, it would be like a toss-up maybe between Testify and Sleep Now in the Fire, but I think I would probably go with Sleep Now in the Fire. Yeah, that's also a great song. Do you think, so we, we've talked about it, it's like they've pr- played reunion shows and stuff. Do you think we'll ever get new music from Rage? Uh, I, I think so. I feel like, I mean... Maybe not a full album, right. but I feel like there would be, they've got to release something with like, if they're getting together and 
and touring. I mean, I was I was looking it up, and they have on the books right now. They're they're set. They've got dates in June. Mm-hmm. In yeah, they're Arizona. supposed to be in 2020, but it got pushed back. So in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, it looks like they have they have dates in June, and Oregon, Washington, a couple in Canada. They got a whole tour. It looks like June and July. I'm just looking at it right now. Who knows if the everything will actually go through? But right, they're putting together a tour like this, and they've got a good like. I, I'm like scrolling now through August, June, July, August. They've got a good 15 or 20 shows lined up, and I'd imagine if they're back together, I'd imagine Zach's got to have something cooking in his brain, a notepad. 10, 18 notepads full of notes of stu- songs he wants to write. You know what I mean? Yeah. All those guys have got riffs and oh, yeah. and whatever <laughs> they they want to put out. I, I can't imagine that spending three months together again. Like they they wouldn't put together a handful of songs. And they if they if they're going out in June, I'd imagine they'll get the songs down and then they'll have a month to maybe come up with some new stuff gotta be there's gotta be something in there they gotta be writing something with all the political stuff going on these days yeah zach's been like pretty off the radar he's released a couple of things here and there and some collaborations but i think it's also been rumored that we're gonna get a zach solo record for every single year i think even <laughs> this year i saw like anticipated records zach de la rocha that's there every year, but I, so I think he probably <laughs> even has a full album or maybe multiple full albums that he's never released. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, he's got to. I, I bet. Yeah, I bet all yeah. of them have stuff they've been working on. I mean, I f- I follow Brad on Instagram, and he's always jamming out on his set. You know, yeah. like always throwing back videos, and I bet he's working on. So I bet they all have something there they're working on like it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with another record yeah i think i mean i mean all all the fans want it but i'm wondering if it's like been too long where they they just feel like they they don't want to ruin rage's legacy by potentially coming out with new music that gets a negative reaction which i yeah. have a hard time feeling would happen but yeah. i can see them getting psyched up so i i'm actually gonna go the opposite like or i'm gonna say that we're not gonna see new rage music ever or if we do maybe it'll be like a song or two i don't think we'll ever get a full album it seems like they're cool with playing these kind of reunion shows every like five to seven years or so but it doesn't seem like they are in the the space where they want to create music or at least actually I should say it doesn't seem like Zach wants to because I think the rest of the band it as they've gone on to create two different bands all together Audio Slave and Prophets of Rage I think if they do it's all on Zach yeah I mean definitely yeah I think once Zach is ready I think I would imagine the rest of the band would be on board I think so. 
how about we wrap this up? The question we end with on all of our shows is best time and place to listen. Um, honestly, I was listening to it in my car today, and I think that's a good spot. And yeah. but I do have to tie that in with I feel like if you don't have a good stereo system in your car, maybe stick with. Wherever your music sounds the best. Right. If you got a good set of headphones, I know I have a Android and it's a Google, and the, the headphones that came with it are pretty solid. I feel like those headphones would be decent. Uh, I listen to quite a bit on these. Um, I have some like kind of more studio headphones that are pretty great. My It didn't sound great in my car, but I do remember listening to it back in the day. I had a much better stereo in my car, and and. It, it would have sounded a lot better, but I feel like that driving around, but just don't get road ragey out there. <laughs> don't get, don't get amped up with the music. Just, yeah. just have a good time. You could get pumped up, but not don't get, yeah. the don't take rage. it out. Yeah. Don't take it out on anyone. <laughs> Even just kind of just doing things around the house, uh, putting on my headphones, like you said, and just kind of listening to it over the, you know, last couple days, I found myself just jamming out, you know, cleaning the, the house a bit before you know it you're like oh man i'm done you know and obviously in the car is a good place it's somewhere where you can kind of listen to it and just kind of go do something and just listen to the music in the car on a walk or maybe at the gym you know it gets me pumped up when i listen to it yeah yeah i i think for me, uh, going off of what you're both saying is, like, this is meant to be listened to loud. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Whether that uh-huh. be headphones or good car stereo or at the gym. I mean, you can l- definitely listen to this uh, in any circumstance. But best time and place to listen to it has to be some type of loud situation where you can listen to it loudly. I think it's also pretty it could be angry music so if you are angry this is good music i think any election cycle this is good music (laughs) Uh, so if you're angry about election and it's an election year and you're angry and you can listen to it loudly i would say that would be the optimal time to listen to this record yeah Yeah. i agree i also i want a side note Listen to it wherever, I would say, same thing. Listen to it wherever your audio sounds the best. But also, go back and listen to it with the lyrics. Like, find the lyrics online. Back in the day, it used to just be in the album liner. Right. uh, Or the CD notes, whatever you want to call it. The lyrics would all be in there for every album. Go back and listen to it and actually read the lyrics while you're listening to it and it it just makes it that much more impactful yeah i I mean i don't think you have to agree with their politics either like whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it i think if you go back and read it you're gonna learn something and or if at least nothing else you can respect where they're coming from and respect their perspective and the the artistry that they put into it definitely i think that wraps up our episode thank you joey so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure having you on our show yes yeah thanks for having me it's 
good to reconnect with you guys. I yeah, miss definitely. You guys. I know. I know. Once this is all over, we got to get together. It would be great to yeah. get our kids together. And definitely, yeah, if, you, definitely. if you're ever out this way in Denver, definitely hit me up. Will do, man. Oh, side, uh, nerdy. I got a nerdy side note we missed on the yeah on nerdy, the nerdy tidbit. Uh, nerdy tidbit. Nerdy, oh, there you go, nerdy tidbit. <laughs> uh, so Orange County. I grew up in we or we all kind of for had a, at least a handful of formative years here in Orange County. Yep. I was probably twenty. Let's see, this would have been after this album came out, probably two thousand one or two. I was still in Orange County. I I left Orange County, th- or maybe three, 2003, somewhere around there, one to three. I was mountain biking with some friends up in the hills above, I don't know, Irvine or Laguna Beach. There's like some mountain bike trails. We were out and uh, we ran into Tim Comerford, the bassist oh. from Rage, out just on a random mountain bike trail. <laughs> I only recognized him by his tattoos on his leg, his leg tattoos. He was wearing whatever shorts that were just cut like above his knee, like you do when you're mountain biking. But I recognized his tattoo down his leg, just crazy tribal tattoo. And I was like, kind of starstruck. It was like that, you know, (laughs) earlier twenties. You're like, whoa, whoa, dude, like. I've been listening to you my whole life, basically, musically at this point. And, like, I was so taken back because I had only seen the guy on stage from far away. But the dude is huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, like, 6'3", 6'4", like, big dude. And I was like, oh, like, hey, you're the guy. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I didn't, I remember I didn't say, like, the name of the band or, like, whatever. But, like, hey, aren't you the guy? And he's like, basically, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> like, and we were kind of, we were just crossing paths on the on the trail, or, or we got to the top of a, a climb or something. They were already there at the top, ready to go down the next part. And I, we crossed paths for maybe ten seconds. And he's like, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm like, cool, man, you're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. His like whole like upper body like tattoo yeah, like shoulders. piece as well as yeah. tattoos. So it's like complete like blackout. It must have taken him forever to uh, get that done. Must but have felt great. Also thinking about that tattoo and how big he is and everything. Still, he came from Irvine, California. Let that sink in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go get matching tattoos, guys. Let's All get right. the whole the whole back piece. Ridge against uh, the machine. That Tim has. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. I, I want to know how many hours I'll take. But oh, a lot. I don't know, man. I think you could create a machine that does that whole tattoo in about thirty seconds. You, you would think, or I mean, or we could just get a bunch of really crummy tattoos for a <laughs> little bit, and then we could just do that as our cover yeah. up. Just dig it, dig it, just yep. Stick keep and going poke. in circles till it fills out the whole thing. Yeah, stick yep. and poke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Please take a minute to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. And until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And we're Album Worms. Worms.